Welcome to a brand new episode. Mike Driscoll, The Python Show. Hello and welcome to The Python Show. My name is Mike Driscoll, your host. And today we have an awesome special guest, Al Swigert, the author of Automate the Boring Stuff with Python. He has told me today that hey, he is working for on me. the third it's, edition. It's great to be on this Welcome show. Welcome to the show, Al. Yeah, it's great to have you. It's always fun to have a chat with the, uh, <laughs> the, the automate well known guy. Al. <laughs> yes. Everyone, is, I mean, the, the one thing that I, I get a lot nowadays, is, or is uh, it just... people making the same joke of like, hey, have you thought about automating book writing? And <laughs> it gets funnier every time. Uh, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and actually I have uh, with ChatGPT, uh, and it turns out it's not that great for that, but we can also go into that uh, later on. <laughs> yes. I, I do want to talk a little bit about that because I've been playing with it for automating uh, article writing and I'm not impressed, but we'll get there eventually. <laughs> so uh, one of my first questions that I've been asking my guests lately is to just tell a little bit about yourself and oh, you know, how uh, well, did you get into so programming? talking about how I got into anyway. programming is a story that I really hate telling uh, completely, absolutely. So how I got into programming... <laughs> was I was in the okay. third grade, I think, and a friend got a book on programming games in basic from the library. Hmm. And I saw this book and I was really into Nintendo as a kid. And I was like, yeah, I want to make Mario and Zelda. Um, I never did. I instead made, you know, guess the number games mm -hmm. and, and really simple stuff like that. But uh, it, it was great because it was a time where mm -hmm. text-based games were okay the the expectations were really low like today if you talk about software you yeah know, we're all walking around with supercomputers in our pockets and so we think about self-driving cars and ai and mm -hmm. uh, social networks with millions of users and and guess the number really isn't all that impressive compared to that so i i'm glad that i learned programming back then because uh I could yeah. just have fun with it and there wasn't any real pressure. And, and also, you know, by the time I graduated high school, you know, the, the head start of several years that I had really wasn't that big of a head start because I didn't have YouTube tutorials or Wikipedia or, or all of these other resources. I mean, I didn't have Python mm -hmm. back then. I, it was available back in the nineties, but I didn't know about it. Um, yeah. So, mm -hmm. so I hate talking about how I learned to program because a lot of people hear that story about yet another guy who started coding when they were a kid. And then they think, oh, no, I, you know, I wasn't getting on the Internet when I was a kid and I'll never be able to catch up. And it's like, no, no, no. My head start really wasn't that much of a head start. Uh, programming is definitely something that I'm, I'm really convinced that everyone uh, who is interested in doing it. Uh, and sticks with it can learn to program. Um, teaching programming, on the other hand, that's uh, incredibly difficult, and lots of people are lousy at it. And that's why a lot of people think that programming is so hard is just because the the learning materials aren't that great uh, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. The, the, the people should not get frustrated about not being able to. Uh, 
or not getting into programming early enough. I mean, I didn't get into it until I got into university. And <laughs> I didn't I wasn't especially good at it either until I actually started doing it full time. So Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's I, normal. I think back. <laughs> it's okay. Because <laughs> I have a CS degree that I got from uh the University of Texas at Austin. And I think back at some of those classes and I realize much mm -hmm. more now, like with a lot of the theoretical computer science stuff, because I've read more into it and but I, I think like, oh, I could have I could do so much better in all of those classes. Mm -hmm. I would not be a uh, B average student. Um, I would, I, cause I actually know more, but I think the, the yeah. worst thing about college was just having to learn so much in, in such a tight schedule and, and the sleep deprivation and everything like that. And it's one of the nice things about being an adult right now is mm -hmm. that I have a bit more time and I can actually learn things to the degree that I want to learn them and and take the time to actually master things instead of cram a bunch of information into my head and then take a test and then move on to the next thing whether I understand it yeah. or not uh, yeah that was probably my biggest beef with uh, learning in college is you're basically memorizing all the yeah. facts, but you don't really understand and how to so apply them. So for a them. lot of my books, I try and... to focus mostly on having these little programs that do a complete thing. You know, not just code snippets of some algorithm, but, you know, a fun little program so you can see how mm -hmm. for loops and variables and everything all come together to do a thing. And you can actually see, oh, yes, this is, there's a point behind all of these concepts. And then you can apply them and and sort of... You know, mm -hmm. gain mastery over over these concepts that way instead of just learning abstract facts. Yeah. Yeah, one thing, I don't know if it's still true or not, but when I was in college, they didn't teach you a lot of the concepts that are like, everyone talks about like test-driven development, dry, solid programming techniques. They didn't even test testing at all. That was something I was never taught in college. And I wonder, <laughs> is it taught now? I I really need to ask some of the new, the new people, it's, it's new or the younger. Very people. flattering that you think I'm. Is any of this stuff taught person, now? Anyway, in in the two thousands, uh, I'm going to make that vague enough. When when I was in school, <laughs> um, yeah, we did cover J unit. Uh, Java was sort of the the programming language that was being taught. Um, at the time. Mm. And I think since then, UT Austin has switched to Python, as many schools have. But uh, they did cover some unit mm -hmm. testing. But I mean, it's it's always hard because with computer science, you don't want to just teach practical things because all that will be obsolete by the time you graduate. Um, but if you just yeah. teach theoretical things and, you know, uh, it's it's kind of hard to see what you can actually do uh, with with those concepts and things like that. Um, yeah. I mean, for sure, software engineering and learning how to write code and write code to a specification and find bugs and do testing and on all of these things, um, that is mm -hmm. a completely different skill set from computer science uh, itself. And in many ways, you can graduate with a mm -hmm. four-year computer science degree and not really be that good at programming <laughs> it's they are related and adjacent but yeah. not necessarily the same thing they are i mean 
I have I have an associate's in computer in comp sci and a, a bachelor's in management and information systems. And the computer science to me seems like it's mostly theory. Management and management information series is yeah. a little bit more applied, but it also has a yeah, lot of I mean, I half concepts joke that added to it. Big O algorithm analysis is like eighty percent of the usefulness of my computer science degree. Um, which is a co concept I cover in a chapter mm -hmm. in my book, Beyond the Basic Stuff with Python. I'm just going to throw in a plug of my my books there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I, yeah, I've always I check that freely plug so. my books because they're all free online under a Creative Commons license. Um, so at inventwithpython.com or whatever mm -hmm. um, BitTorrent site that you <laughs> can find that you know of. I'm, I'm sure they're all over there as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, I have them available on my website uh, as well. Do you ever consider, you know, creating domains for separate I, books? Or do you just I like keep them all about on Invent with Python? Um, I, I originally set up inventwithpython.com and then I set up a, an automate the boring stuff with, uh, dot com. And I really wish I had just just kept it all mm -hmm. on one website. I remember um, that. Because then if, if I have like separate domains, then it I'm sure it affects the mm -hmm. search engine, uh, the SEO rankings and everything. Yeah, it's, uh, it's another concept uh, SEO. outside of computer science and programming that's tech adjacent that I have to learn. <laughs> um, my website mm -hmm. is, is clearly designed by a programmer. It's... Um, <laughs> yeah i I, th I think it's pretty good overall it may not be actually like a business website but it's yeah i, it's I functional try to and the, it's easy to, uh, easy the to navigate page loads under 100 kilobytes um just including images and, and everything else um mostly i just have readers all across the world and uh, not mm -hmm. everybody has has a good internet connection and it's just sort of a pain when you have to just sit there and it, you yeah. know, it loads the template or the, the general website, and then you see all these little spinners everywhere. <laughs> and it takes like another seven seconds to load. And I just, you know, hey, it's just uh, images and text, so it doesn't have to be that complicated. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that, that works good on oh, mobile yeah. devices too, usually. Which, for to me, that's probably why I have the most, the most latency is, you know, I live in Iowa, so... You go out, you go, you know, off the highway, and you have a your internet oh, yeah, connection sure. goes crack to crap. So, um, because it's rural, <laughs> I mean, there's not very many people out in the cornfields, so they don't have good coverage. And you know, if you want to like go out, go outside and hang out, you know, at a park at a mm -hmm. like a like a what do they call them? Like a national park type well, area. You're probably not going to be that a close giant to a spool cell phone of tower. fiber optic cable so, on top of my car. I'll just plug it into to my home and then I'll just bring it and spool <laughs> it behind me. <laughs> uh, that would be so expensive to have someone hit that. Anyway. <laughs> so anyway, um if you've been you've mentioned automating the boring stuff a couple of times now. Um how about yeah, you tell I, us uh, I had started you know, writing book programming books kind of just as a hobby around two thousand nine and I wrote one uh, that was invent your own computer games with mm -hmm. Python. And then I wrote another one and then another one and automate the boring stuff was mm -hmm. my fourth book. And 
the previous ones I had all self-published. So I approached, uh, actually, No Starch Press cool. had approached me previously uh, about talking about um, uh, writing books for them. Mm-hmm. And so I pitched this idea to them. And it came out in 2015, which was really a right book at the right time Mm -hmm. because that's when python was really taking off with data science and Mm -hmm. and other other areas that python was being used more and more in and people there were a lot of beginners out there and they were looking for free resources and i had experience writing some books and so it wasn't Mm -hmm. completely terrible and mostly i i had been thinking a lot about uh (laughs) You know, this idea of like everyone needs to learn to code, which I, I somewhat agree with. You know, I think a lot of times people mistake that for everyone needs to become a software engineer. And that's certainly not true. But computers are it's it's sort of like everyone should mm-hmm. have a driver's yeah. license. Like this is sort of a skill in our modern world that's, you know, not everybody does have a driver's license, but it's knowing how to drive is, is mm-hmm. a useful thing to have, even if you don't own a car. and. The same thing with programming, you know, we're all walking around with supercomputers in our pockets right now. And it'd be great if we could figure out ways to Mm -hmm. get them to do precisely what we want. And so I started thinking about, okay, well, what are the things that people need to know if everybody, like if your accountant or a plumber or anyone was, uh, Mm. could learn to program and so I, you know, I wanted to throw out all that computer science stuff. Like you don't need to know big O algorithm analysis. You don't need to know, uh, in fact, even like mm-hmm. object oriented programming. I, I don't cover classes and other things like that in automate the boring stuff because technically you don't need mm-hmm. it. And it's this added layer of complexity. And the book already is, is like 550 yeah. pages long, uh, with the second edition and, and the third edition that I'm working on right mm-hmm. now is possibly going to make that a little bit longer i'm I'm trying to keep that under wraps um but i thought okay well you know things mm-hmm. like hey i'd like to write a program that can move files around automatically like rename them move them copy delete um be great if it, you could send emails or text mm-hmm. notifications uh, if you could download websites um if you knew regular expressions that's mm-hmm. kind of a computer science thing but that's that's really useful for for detecting patterns of text mm-hmm. and pulling that out of other stuff and and just extracting data from yeah. one format whether it's a website or a spreadsheet uh, or a text file and then putting it into another format you know some other uh, spreadsheet or or text file or something like that mm-hmm. um, and I had my whole list of these things and I I wrote them down and. So automate the boring stuff. Part one was as little Python as you can get away with knowing. And then part two was just a collection of all of these third party mm-hmm. modules because uh, Python has PyPI, the, the Python package index. Uh, I think at this point has like 460,000 mm-hmm. projects uh, uploaded to it. Um, most of them you, you'll never need or, mm-hmm. or want to use or something, but it it really is a great resource because there's so much out yeah. there. Like I'm I'm really glad I didn't have to write a package for uh, parsing Excel spreadsheets or or reading PDF files. Um, that would have mm-hmm. been a giant task just on their own. But yeah. other people have done that and they've made their code available. 
and and everybody benefits uh, from sharing mm-hmm. all of this code like that. And so I wanted to to just sort of have all this general knowledge. And it turns out that a lot of people uh, find useful information to be useful. <laughs> um, who knew? Um, and so, you know, I, I also wanted yeah. to make this book available. <laughs> so I, I put it under a Creative Commons license. Um, and at first that was mostly because I didn't really think of myself as an author. I, mm-hmm. I was just a, I was still a software developer. I wasn't writing full time mm-hmm. then. And so I thought, yeah, I'll just throw it online for free. That's fine. I'll put it under a Creative Commons license, um, which actually really helped it mm-hmm. generate word of mouth because people had actually heard of it. I considered doing a free version of my book with a publisher and I never did it because, you know, I've, I, I don't think most of the publishers I've worked with would allow me to have yeah, a free version and, and then And that's a, a big reason I went with Snow Starch Press you know? was because they were all right with that. Um, I mean, I haven't talked with them directly, but I, I kind of get the feeling it's because, well, they know that uh, books are always going to be pirated no matter what. And, so you're you're really not costing yourself mm-hmm. a lot of sales. I mean, probably most of the people who who pirate my book don't even read it. So it's it just sits on their hard drive. So is that really a lost sale? Well, probably mm-hmm. not actually. Um, but but meanwhile, there there are a lot of people who yeah. started reading the free version online, and and they really like that they could just flip through any part of it, and then later decided, hey, they'd like to buy the ebook copy or a print book copy mm-hmm. of it. Um, and so that's, I've, No Starch Press was just the first publisher to reach out to me. And, and so I started publishing books with them. And uh, it's it's been a great relationship. And I really haven't seen a huge need to, to check out the, the other publishers. Um, Although, yeah, I, I really do like a lot of, of O'Reilly's books yeah. and, and the books from I, like Manning and, and A-Press and all the other publishers as well. Yeah, I think you did a good, I think you'd had a good choice with No Starch because whatever, every time I've worked with them uh, doing as a technical reviewer, I've really liked the yeah, quality. Yeah, it's the really nice. They, that their editors put into <laughs> they allow me to just... Uh, run past every single deadline uh, that that we kind of set up, or at least I'll give them a deadline. It's like, I will have this <laughs> done by this date and that date will come and it will go and I'll still be working on it. They're, they're fine. They, they really want a high quality book. They understand <laughs> that, you know, okay, sure. You might be able to, to launch a book three okay. months earlier, but in the long run, is it, is that three month head start really worth it uh, to, to have mm-hmm. a low quality book? Um, but you know, one of the things that uh, we can switching over to ChatGPT, yeah. I recently uh, used ChatGPT as a technical reviewer mm-hmm. of sorts of my recursion book, the uh, the recursive book of recursion, and I just fed the uh, the text of the book to ChatGPT and instructed it mm-hmm. to find uh, any mistakes in the text. And I I wrote up a blog post about this and, and put it on the Invent with Python okay. blog. And it was it was really interesting. Um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> does it was it finding problems with the book's text or uh, code kind of or all both? of those things? Or did it not even work? <laughs> Actually, so I let's see if I remember it correctly. <laughs> I had like a hundred and eighty-five bits of feedback. 
I, I went through and like cataloged all of these and about hmm. 14% of these were actual problems that it found. And, and more than just spelling and grammar, it was actual like conceptual mistakes hmm. uh, that were in, in the book. I think like, for example, one thing is I said aspect as hmm. aspect ratio gets bigger, the image gets taller. Uh, and as it decreases, it gets lighter. And actually, it's the other way around. And so, you know, mm -hmm. ChatGPT is able to understand okay. the concepts uh, and point out when these mistakes are being made 14% of the time. Um, however, 25% uh, of the time, it just yeah. <laughs> totally gave me the wrong answers, like just wrong information. If I followed its advice, I would be mm -hmm. introducing more errors into the book. Um, and that was, and it's, it's amazing okay. how confidently it stated both the correct and wrong information that it had for me. It's, it's, uh, really confident mm -hmm. in talking about things it has no idea, uh, or no clue about. So you can tell it's a product of Silicon Valley from that, <laughs> um, Well, yeah, a few. You know, it helped about a lot when I was talking to a friend of mine. Um, and the first, I think it was the second episode for this podcast. He was telling me how an LLM works. And basically, it is trying to guess yes. the next word that you're going to type. And by doing that, you know, sometimes it's going to, get, to give you a completely wrong answer because it's already trying to figure out right. what the question yeah, is can, before you finish writing the question. Yeah, you, you can give it uh, prompts so, where you're asking <laughs> it for questions and it can understand con context and, and things like that. But, um, mm -hmm. Yes, for sometimes sure. Sometimes you have to refine it, the prompt, um, multiple yeah, times and, to get and, it. And, you know, that was so 14% exactly correct 25% wrong. And then the rest of the time, it was just sort of, you know, not wrong, but the, the advice it had wasn't really relevant or wasn't all that helpful. It would suggest different rewordings of the text. And I thought, yeah, I, I could word it like that, but you'd basically be saying the same thing. So it it wasn't that useful. The, the thing that I noticed definitely about this whole process yeah. was that uh, you absolutely can't replace a human reviewer with ChatGPT. Um, if, if anything, uh, although I, I do think that it has a place mm -hmm. in the whole process, but if anything, it's going to slow down uh, the the reviewer because then you have to spend time going through all of this output from from the LLM and and figure out what's mm -hmm. correct and what's not and, and what's actually useful. And that's going to require the same expertise that a human has. And so it's going to slow you down, yeah. but it will improve the quality by by finding these problems that uh, made it past the author and made it past the reviewers, um, which was uh, actually it. It was really nice, yeah. but of course, anytime you hear about ChatGPT or or AI in general, it's it's amazing how how AI just can mean anything <laughs> to anyone. Um, uh, most of the reporting on it is just nonsense. Mm -hmm. People are there is something yep. there, but I I feel like. I don't know. People have, have started to figure out that cryptocurrency and NFTs are are a complete scam. And so now we're, we're sort of expecting like, well, you know, what's the next big thing that's mm -hmm. going to come out of Silicon Valley? You know, like, sure, we all we all switch to smartphones um, and and social media really blew up. But that was mm -hmm. 
well over a decade ago at this point, and we're, we're sort of looking for the next big thing and self-driving cars hasn't really happened either. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people are pinning their hopes on, on yeah. making AI this huge thing. I, I have noticed that in the last few years, whenever people read my name as text, mm. Al Swigert, they immediately think that it says AI Swigert, which I guess I find it kind of annoying. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah i get that i think i think for me what i've seen that machine learning does well is it's good at good at analyzing like like photos and detecting abnormalities so like for medicine it's good for like checking x-rays or yeah mris for abnormalities you can have it focused stuff is good on a very specific domain to some degree um, large language models are are interesting because they they know yeah. everything, but their understanding is about an inch deep. Um, so they they can give you some facts, mm-hmm. and they can give you context for facts. But they also you you never know if if what they're saying is correct or not. You always uh, like it's it's not that it's wrong like two percent of the time. It's you know yeah. It's- you know, full for me in that in that one instance, you know, whole quarter of the time, one in four times, it was just uh, completely wrong information or just mostly useless information. So, yeah, yeah, I, you can, I like it. You can for get like a skeleton of an so idea, but um, it's uh, I've I've heard that a lot of foreign language translators uh, have gotten really upset with machine translation because it'll do mostly a terrible job and then but the client will, you know, run it through Google translate and then hand them this and say, Oh, you just have to, to clean this up. And really they have to rewrite everything. Um, mm-hmm. It's a, uh, but you know, it, yeah. it is fairly incredible because um, you know, it's, it's not uh, like Eliza chatbot, which uh, was from the sixties or the seventies. And it would just sort of give you these vague generic <laughs> Uh, responses like oh that's interesting why do you say blah 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 i would just repeat what you're saying back at you and and, you know humans are Mm -hmm. so self-absorbed we you know we can talk to a volleyball with a with a handprint on it and (laughs) think that we're uh, making a new friend there um uh, we we don't really notice that the (laughs) the conversation isn't going anywhere (laughs) yeah i've I've seen a little bit of that (laughs) So you you mentioned the recursion book. I'm t- I'm just curious, how did you end up choosing <laughs> it, it that as a topic for a book? Sort of a huge accident. Um, I, you know, for the longest time, I thought like, oh, I I should write like mm-hmm. a follow up book to uh, automate the boring stuff, and then also a, a third edition to automate the boring stuff. And but I really didn't know mm-hmm. what I was gonna do with that exactly. So I was still planning that out, and I thought, hey, recursion is something that people are really confused by they they find it really intimidating as a topic um but mm-hmm. uh at the same time you know yep. it's there's not that much to it i could write a really short book on recursion like maybe 150 pages or something like that um and it would be really short mm-hmm. and sweet i could have it done in 6 months it'd be great it'd be easy and uh, i'll just be working on that while i'm planning out what what these mm-hmm. other books uh, will be 
And and I was sort of writing that out and I got a lot of it done. And then No Stretch said, actually, you know, people don't really like these shorter books. We kind of want something that's more substantial. Can you add like another hundred pages to that? I said, sure. Yeah. I mean, I can. I, the hard part is keeping it a small book. I can always add like a hundred pages of, of stuff. And so I added all these fun little projects. But, um, <laughs> yeah. So for, for audience members who have, who don't know, or who have only vaguely heard about it, uh, a recursive function is a function that calls itself, which sounds really weird. And it kind of is, mm-hmm. but only at first. And it's uh, there's, there's a whole category of, of problems that are easier to solve with recursion. Uh, the trouble is there's a whole category of problems to solve that recursion is totally over-engineered uh, for, and and you're just over-complicating things. But a lot of programmers mm-hmm. like using recursion because it makes them feel clever to come up with the recursive algorithm for it. Uh, I'm going to have like the functional <laughs> programmers yelling at me yes. for that. But um, it's... It's uh, and I found that it's not really that difficult of a topic, um, but it is often taught poorly. And so I, I went through a bunch of different recursion tutorials I saw online. Um, mm. I feel like a lot of computer science is taught the way it's taught because computer science sort of grew out of mathematics in an academic setting, and and recursion mm-hmm. is, is sort of like that. You you always see the same very math based examples like factorial and the Fibonacci sequence. And those are the prime examples, which is funny because actually Mm -hmm. you would never use recursion in, in the real world to, to solve those, to write those algorithms. It it turns out the recursive algorithms for factorial and Fibonacci are are terrible. (laughs) Um, uh, But you know, they're simple enough that they make for good examples. And Mm. and I thought like, okay, well, you know, what are, what are the ways that people really make this scarier and and so I I wrote up a whole list of things. It's like, oh yeah, p- tutorials never really mention the call stack or or kind of explain that. And it's this thing that's not in the source code. It's handled by the interpreter or by your compiler mm-hmm. in the background. And and because it's invisible, people don't see it. And so it sort of seems mysterious because they're not really thinking about it. And and the whole process just becomes a lot more cryptic than than necessary. And uh, and so you know I had that and and a bunch of other uh, yeah. little pr- things about like uh, recursion and and I wanted to have all the basic examples like you know factorial and Fibonacci and and tree traversal algorithms and all that's very computer sciencey but I also just wanted to have some fun projects uh, in it as well mm-hmm. so I have uh, like a fractal drawer to make these really interesting uh, bits of like geometric artwork so that's in the book and you can oh, cool. uh, use Python for that and actually all the um, uh, code examples have Python and JavaScript uh, code uh, sort of side by side. I just have the equivalent code in both those languages because mm. I didn't want this to be just a Python book. It was a, a general programming book. But um, I have those um, okay. you know, those pictures uh, that cool. contain themselves. Um, this is called the the Drost effect. Drost effect. I'm not. It's uh, I believe it's a Dutch word. There's a brand of cocoa uh, mm. called that. Um, and the their logo, the illustration on the tins was mm. somebody holding a tray of with a cup of hot cocoa, and then the the tin of cocoa there. And so, of course, on that tin of cocoa is the illustration itself, and, okay. which has the person holding the tray. And then on that t- tray, there was a tin, and 
mm. so forth. And so it's like, oh, that's that's really clever. And yeah. of course, the cover <laughs> of the book is this robot reading the book itself. So then you see the cover. And there's a robot on that cover, and and mm. therefore, and so on, and so on. Um, yeah. So I like that. It was it was that's really. Fun. I think that book came out last year in 2022 um and i had first started on it in 2018 actually i mean i've been working on like different things at the same time but wow um yeah it, it's sort of like a, a lot of ideas came together uh and and it's out now and it's it's also on inventwithpython.com um if anything you can oh go ahead have you had I was just wondering, have, have you had like, a yeah, good response to I that mean, book? Are people like enjoying well, it? Or? Automate the boring stuff because You're it's not getting any it's, feedback. <laughs> it sort of hit this spotlight and it's for beginners and a wide audience. It sells really well. But, you know, my books get good reviews, but uh, mm-hmm. none of them really sell as well as, as automate. And so recursion, it is an interesting and fun topic if you're the type mm-hmm. of person who finds, you know, learning about programming stuff. Uh, to be interesting and fun. Um, so, you know, it doesn't sell a lot of copies, but at the same yeah. time, I'm hoping that a lot of people who are, you know, they're, they're, they're a computer science student and they're like, oh no, they're freaking out about recursion. And so they try to go to a search engine and find some explanation. Hopefully that mm-hmm. that'll help them out. Um, because it's, you know, when I looked on Amazon for other yeah. books on recursion, I found this one book that first was written in the eighties in Pascal. And then for the 20th anniversary edition, they, they came mm-hmm. out with the Java version. And then there's like a textbook uh, on recursion, but it was very formal and academic. And I, I felt like, wow, okay, nobody's mm-hmm. really written about this. So um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to yeah. come up with. I don't, I try to huh. either figure out con- uh, concepts and topics that people haven't already written books about or i try to find an audience uh that i could mm-hmm. sort of latch on to that would be interested like uh, teaching python stuff but in a way of interest to this one audience or something like that um, because there's so many books out there right now about, yeah. about programming and uh, i get the feeling that with chat gbt there will be a lot more self-published books thrown out um very poorly written uh, with large amounts of errors in them. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, it's, it is sort yeah. of the, the main thing that chat GPT seems to be good at is generating lots of text of grammatically correct sentences that sound very confident and are mostly right, but not entirely. Mm-hmm. And the main use case I see for yeah. that is coming up with content spam for, for all these websites where you try to find, uh, you know, a pasta recipe and there's a billion <laughs> sidebar ads and they tell you their life story and, and you just want to know the ingredients and mm-hmm. how to cook this pasta dish. Um, you know, it's, it makes you, it makes me realize yeah. how, how great something like Wikipedia is where, there's no advertising at all and it's can be edited by anyone and and there's no real profit Mm -hmm. motive behind that. And yet it's basically the highest quality website on the entire internet.
Yeah, I can see that. I mean, there, there are some people who are intentionally uh, edit yeah. things incorrectly. And, and I remember there was... It usually uh, gets corrected fairly I think quickly. On, on, like so. on some BBC website, there was... Uh, apparently somebody had, had posted about... They, they made up a name for somebody who invented the electric toaster. And and it was up on, on Wikipedia for a few months. And... Uh, mm. But then somebody found out uh, found out about it and it got taken down pretty quickly. But it was the the article tried to make it appear as this giant scandal mm-hmm. because scandals are get people to click on them. Um, but I I tried to find you know like looking for other people yeah you know just googling the fake name they had and really nobody had actually read this information. Like a, there were a couple of websites that had clearly just copied whatever information off of Wikipedia, but I was astounded because it really was just mm-hmm. like, I don't know, half a dozen websites. And, uh, there's one YouTube channel of a guy who had like 7,000 subscribers, which is really not all that much. Um, but you mm-hmm. know, the, it does have this huge, uh, boogeyman yeah. of like, Oh, you can't trust anything on Wikipedia. It's like, well, can't really trust anything any information really that's that's why we have you know critical thinking skills and, <laughs> and a general skepticism and, and media literacy and hopefully any anyway um yeah 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 so how how have you found cool. chat gpt what do you mostly use it for because i've been using it as like a technical reviewer and and sometimes i have it generate really really simple programs uh in in python and and they kind of work but uh, sometimes i I just use it in lieu of a search engine because there's so much Mm -hmm. content spam out there but uh i don't know what have you been using it for yeah well i'm actually kind of late to the party i've only used it for like a couple of months now but um so you know i've looked at I was using it for pandas because pandas is something that I only just recently, like in the last six months, have really started using on the job. And I'm like, this is a tool that can teach me, you know, some techniques in pandas, or at least give me some ideas of further research. And it, it does an okay <laughs> job at that. It doesn't always give you good good code, but it gives you it gives you some ideas of where to go. Um, what did I have it do? Oh, I was having it. I wanted it to go to teach me how to like web scrape and then use pandas to uh, teach me about the data that it had downloaded. Um, unfortunately, yeah. the first web oh. scraping example it wrote was garbage. Yeah, it's every, everybody who's used this anything. for like generating code is used to, um, <laughs> you know, it gives you the program and then you say that doesn't work because of this. And then it says, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then like gives you yet another program that's uh, still mm-hmm. busted, but a little less so. And eventually you get something that kind of works Yeah, <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, the first example, I think the website it used, it, it, something was wrong with the right. way that website was. I think it's changed, you know. GPT yeah, ha, yeah, is based right in the past. September in, of 2021. Uh, and so. Yeah. Yeah, for 3.5, I believe. And if you have the 4.0, you can. Yeah, I think you can actually oh, have wow. it run against yeah. the internet itself if you I enable it. I don't think I've seen that. I, I, I signed up for I like the, the twenty dollar a month sort of account, and and GPT four. Oh, okay. It's a oh, it's okay. a beta That'll feature. Be interesting to you check have to out. Enable it specifically. But, uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how many. I don't know if it's mm. one of those things that they're testing, so not everyone gets it, or if you just if you just have to go in and and set it. I keep <laughs> oh, hearing man. about just that. Having an access to the live internet would that'll be an interesting uh, uh, thing to see. I, I wonder how how well that'll actually work. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of wonder if it'll make it even slower because I've heard. Oh yeah, there's, there's definitely about the 4, a, a slight delay. Like three point five will usually come up with something almost immediately, whereas four point five, you you definitely see like the text being generated a little bit of, at a time, but it's it's still reasonably fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not bad. And besides, you know, if I'm going to ask you a question, that is definitely I'm something keep that I've done, while especially it, when uh, I'm just copying and pasting anyway. massive so. amounts of text for it to analyze. It's um, yeah, and and then of mm-hmm. course I need to take some time to read through and and figure out if it's hallucinating some other some other answers. Have have you heard about the uh, lawyers in New York yeah. who use ChatGPT for for one of their case filings, and it turned out the um the cases that it was referencing were just completely Mm. made up. Um, And yeah. So the judge pulled them up (laughs) uh, just for, I I don't know the the proper term, but some form of like censure uh, for them. I I don't think they were threatened with being disbarred, but Mm. uh, it it was a very serious thing because when you're a lawyer and you put your name on it saying like, this is all accurate. And then it turns out, uh, no, they they just had ChatGPT mm-hmm. generate it, and they just assumed it was correct. And ChatGPT had just made up these cases. Um, I believe mm-hmm. it was about like an airline uh, lawsuit. Yeah. Um, and the you know the cases that it generated sounded reasonable, um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it it was. I I get the feeling that yeah. this isn't the first time lawyers have done this. It's the first time that lawyers have gotten caught doing this. Um, so, Hey, we could, we could just start copying and pasting mm-hmm. a bunch of filings to chat GPT and ask it to see like, Hey, is this, do these cases actually made up or, uh, are these made <laughs> up? But, um, yeah, the, the interesting thing with that is that it wasn't that, you know, somebody had put mm-hmm. false cases into some legal database somewhere and, and chat GPT was looking that up. Chat GPT just made it up, made up like, you know, whoever versus whoever, mm-hmm. And because the thing with these large yeah. language models is that they're mostly generating plausible sounding answers, which are most often correct, mm-hmm. kind of, sort of, but not always. And, you know, it's it's one of those things like, would you really want to fly with a pilot who, you know, doesn't crash the plane 95% of the time. That's, hey, 95, that's pretty good. 19 times out of 20, he doesn't crash. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's... Yeah, I've... I think I think it was a month or two ago I heard, I heard someone talking about... He was an expert in some obscure scientific uh, disciplines. I think, it was a, I think it was a type of medicine. And he was like, let's see how good ChatGPT is. And he asked it questions about it. And it cited some stuff he'd never read before. And he's like, that's interesting because I wrote a lot of the original original stuff. And so he went and looked it up. And he's like, it, it was generating, you know, references that didn't exist, but it, it doubled down. And it was like, these two, two, they exist. They're referenced, <laughs> they're referenced over here. And those were made up too. 
and it's like and it's kind of like a wormhole yeah going all imagine over the place once content farm websites start other. using <laughs> these llms to generate the content for their websites which then gets used as the training data for future llms mm-hmm. um yeah this this is sort of the danger it's it's not yeah. that you know ais are gonna build robots that hunt human humans down or, or something like that it's just that it very well could just mm-hmm. turn the internet into even more of a dumpster fire which is a very impressive feat um but already i you know a lot of people are complaining that like, <laughs> google just isn't as great yeah. as it was 10 years ago um you have to just automatically click you know to like 10 all the first 10 links and open them in separate tabs and then just sort of sift through them uh just to find like which are the websites that have actual information on them mm-hmm. and which are them are just very clearly just playing the seo game and, and trying to get clicks yeah yeah and i've noticed um there seems to be a lot of copywriters right now <laughs> that are contacting me, asking if I need copywriting services. Oh yeah, and they're they're using uh, ChatGPT. You can tell just by reading the examples that they yes. they give you. That's supposed to be their you know portfolio, but it's it's obviously yeah yeah. And, they're and, using GPT or and the Google trouble is Bard it's it's really hard to have That's kind not... of sober thoughts about ChatGPT. It's really easy to buy into the hype. Because of course, you know, this we're sort of in the golden age of large language models right now, where you can use a service like ChatGPT, and you know, it's it's actually pretty nice to talk to ChatGPT. You just type your question in, and it gives you a response, and it doesn't throw twenty mm-hmm. million pop-up ads or tries to, you know, add suggestions for yeah. uh, a product or a political candidate in the response that it's giving you. Uh, you know, it. Uh, Cory Doctorow describes this as the enshittification mm-hmm. process of of websites where it's like, oh, Twitter was so great 10 years ago. What happened to that? Or this website was so great, you know, 10 years ago. It's like, well, you know, a lot of these websites, they build up their their great websites mm-hmm. and or their great products and they build up huge following and, and loyal customers. And then people start making mm-hmm. short sighted decisions in order to boost profit in the short term. And uh, and then pretty soon it like just becomes what it is. And yeah. And so right now chat GPT is kind of fun to work with and you can play around with it and, and it's really interesting and people are coming up with all sorts of neat little, like little mm-hmm. apps for it. Some of them are good and some of them are just sort of mediocre. And, but um, I, I really hope that we, we don't get yeah. the, the same thing that's happened to like every other technology. We're sort of in the beginning stages of it. And so a lot of people, buy into the hype and they always say like well you know five years from now like right now it's producing garbage but who knows you know in five Mm -hmm. years it's going to replace all software developers and and we won't need people writing programming (laughs) books because uh you can have chat gpt teach you how to program and and it only lies to you 25 percent of the time but in the future but five years (laughs) from now it might only lie to you 19 percent of the time (laughs) that's that's an improvement (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> it is an improvement. I'll give you that. <laughs> oh. oh boy. Well, I think we've I think we've covered all the topics I plan to talk about <laughs> and we covered some extra ones I wasn't planning to talk about at all. So, 
I think this has been a yeah, great episode. Yeah, it's, and I've it's had a great lot of being fun here. Having I've, you on the show, I Al. just started messing it. around with ChatGPT because I I talked with Eric Maths, the author of Python Crash Course, uh, at PyCon uh, this mm-hmm. year in in Salt Lake City back in April, and and he said. Well, you know, because I, I was just really rolling my eyes about chat GPT and, and mm-hmm. everything. And he says, no, no, actually take a look at it. Uh, GPT-4 yeah. is, a there is a noticeable improvement over 3.5 as far as generating code. And, and I've found that to be true. Um, but there's there's definitely some limitations to it. But there mm-hmm. are also some really interesting things. And it'll be interesting to see where this technology goes. I'm I'm sure we're being promised the moon right now. But after a while, it will shake yeah. it out and, and probably find that like, oh, this will be a very interesting tool to use. Um, but it's it's not going to replace the the tool holder yeah, anytime so. soon. No, uh, yeah, but right now I'm not I'm not impressed with that to that degree. <laughs> but it definitely has a lot of interesting use cases. Right, yeah, this has been really great. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so anyway, I want to say thank you for coming to the show. P- y'all who are listening should definitely check out Al's amazing oh, yeah. books. And I believe you have a Udemy course and yeah, I, maybe other other cool stuff. Yeah, inventwithpython.com. Uh, links for that on your website? Uh, basically has all my, my books and, and links to like videos and other things. Uh, I have alswigert.com, but my last name is kind of mm-hmm. hard to, uh, to spell out. Um where I where I have a ton of links, but you can you can find all the links at inventwithpython.com, and <laughs> yeah. I have a blog that I don't really update as much as I should, and and other like book projects. I'm hoping to have the rough drafts <laughs> for for the third edition of Automate the Boring Stuff done, let's say sometime in the fall, and then it'll be out hopefully next year in a, in twenty early twenty twenty four. Okay, um, and then I have about thirty other book projects that I want to okay, work cool. on as, as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I have all these ideas. Yeah, well, it's been great uh, being on, on the show. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks so much for coming. And hopefully we'll have <laughs> That'd you That'd be great. Maybe when you, after you've released your book again, we can talk about it. All right, good. <laughs> for yeah, now, talk to you soon. I'll see you later and uh, talk to you soon. Enjoying this episode? Leave a review now. Mike Driscoll, The Python Show.